you know, as school has begun, it, it reminds us that school really looks different now uh, than it used to back in the day, back in my day, back in your day. Students are beginning now this year their first full post chat GPT school year. So you got to wonder how tools like this are going to be used in some of their homework and some of their assignments that they're going to be used. Are teachers going to be sort of leaning in and embracing some of this new technology, or are we just really afraid of how this could potentially be used? Our next guest wrote an article for theglobeandmail.com, if you want to check it out. Uh, it's called In Defense of the Good, Old, Tedious, and Yes, Sometimes Boring, student essay. So how do you defend something like that that's being threatened by tools like AI? Let's get into it right now with him. He's an associate professor of political science at Brock University, Dr. Blaine Haggard. Dr. Haggard, thanks so much for making the time. Really appreciate it. Oh, no problem. I'm curious why you wanted to dive into this subject. Are you just someone who's really passionate about essays? Did you love writing them as a kid? <laughs> why, why go here with this piece? Well, I mean, I do have a background in political science and journalism, too, so I've always liked writing. But the reason that uh, I, I wrote this is because in my own research, uh, we've been looking, uh, myself and my, uh, my co-author, Natasha Tuzikov, on our latest book, have been looking at how basically how tech is kind of and the obsession with data is kind of reshaping uh, society. And this is kind of a good example of that, of how this kind of shiny new technology, chat GPT, these uh, generative AI is upending uh, yet another sector of society mm. and doing so in a way that doesn't necessarily uh, make people better off. Expand on that a little bit, because, you know, there is a lot of debate about whether or not tools like ChatGPT and AI in general and whatever inception it's going to look like can be something that serves a purpose or can be something that's really just going to take away all that's good. So expand on how <laughs> these on how essays are something that's so important. Oh, that's good and cure the world. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, one of the one of the uh, things that we came across in, in, in you know in looking in writing the book, um, and again thinking about the essay is that like how do we know if something's good or bad, right? Like how do we know if a, if a, if a, if, some, if a change is is for the better or for the worse? And with uh, with ChatGPT, it just kind of shows up, and really, it's all it is is it kind of like autocomplete on steroids. Like mm -hmm. it it has loads of computing power behind it. It's got these enormous databases that it draws upon in order to produce um, responses that look coherent based on whatever your input is. But it's, it's no different from, you know, autocomplete on an email. Um, but to think about how, you know, for in trying to come to uh, an, uh, uh, my own view on this, I thought, well, how am I going to judge this? And I realized, you know, we have these standards in um, you know, in education about like, you know, why we do things in the classroom. Like, why do we teach? Why do we use the essay? What's mm. the point of the essay? And really the point of the essay, is it's not about, you know, producing the output. It's not about, you know, coherent and, you know, and smooth words. It's about training students to learn, okay, here's how I come up with an idea. Oh, here's how I research the idea. Here, when you're summarizing something, which ChatGPT can do for you, but the benefit of doing the summaries in a class for in, in, in the school setting is the actual work of reading through the paper or reading through the paper or the book or whatever and saying, oh, these are the four things that are the most important here and uh, and then and then synthesizing all that. And so if you look at what we are supposed to be doing in schools, if we apply kind of like that standard to this new technology, it fails miserably. Mm -hmm. And you know, yeah, and it's not only in this area too, but I mean, we went through this with uh, cryptocurrency, where people said this is kind of the new tech, um, but people, uh, uh, economists, bankers, people who actually deal with finance could take one look at that and says, no, this is nonsense, because they were using the standard not of tech, 
but of the existing standard of the of the profession. I think you know you're you're absolutely right in that right right now you know you can sort of look at ChatGPT as kind of a different version of of autocomplete or autocorrect and you can really you can spot the holes in it that really suggest that it's not coming from a human's mind and so it, I think is kind of easy to see through but I don't know that it's going to be that way very soon so what do you think teachers are really up against here? Yeah, so, I mean, and, and there's, there's, so that's two questions. I mean, but, you know, I, I wrote the, this thing, you know, in praise of the student essay, pointing out effectively what we're losing if we depend on chat GPT. Mm-hmm. So there's the long-term problem of, like, what do we do with this? But, you know, you know, teachers and students, they're back in school this week, and so they're going to have to figure out exactly what they're going to, you know, how they're going to deal with this situation. Um, and, the, you know, the reality of the matter is, even now, it's very, very difficult um, to, dis- to distinguish um, basically, chatbot output from kind of like a B minus or a C plus student. Um, you know, who actually, and you know, to be fair to B minus and C plus students, that's most of our students because not everybody gets at everything at like the A plus level, and that would be you know crazy to to expect people to get that. And but they're still working at it, and there's still there's still that glimmer of intelligence and that glimmer of of learning that goes into even those papers. And the problem is we can't tell those apart. Um, so I do know that, like, for instance, some of my colleagues are, you know, they're, they're uh, moving towards kind of uh, more in-class assignments, which takes away from teaching time. Sure. And they're also requiring, for instance, uh, uh, oral, S- oral examinations on, say, a paper if, uh, if there's any suspicion that, that the student isn't quite getting it. So th- but those are, uh, those are kind of like stopgap measures. What do you say, you know, to the sort of devil's advocate argument that AI is a tool and it's going to continue to be a tool, and so therefore students should be learning how to to use it in that way? Well, the problem is is that it's not set up to educate, and that's what we're supposed to be doing in schools. Um, there is a, um, I, you know, I used to work a, as an editor, and I and so one of the one of the uh, exercises that's being promoted is, you know, get students to have some ChatGPT output and then evaluate it, but that's. Editing is a different skill from writing, and it's a different skill from what you learn from actually doing the essay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, at some point, you're actually students are actually going to have to do the hard work of of uh, you know of of, uh, of learning how to write and how to think. Otherwise, they're effectively cheating themselves out of their education. That's the other thing where I, that you know when I go back to the classroom to teach students, I'm going to tell them basically, you could try to cheat here and you know cut these corners, but in doing so, basically you're you're throwing your own education away, and it will catch up to you at some point because you won't always have access to ChatGPT when you're having in a job interview or in a place where you have to think on your feet. Well, I wonder if that's realistic, though. You, you know, we live in a world of convenience, and so mm-hmm. I think this is a—it's a huge uphill battle. And I think you know what you're describing—the stakes are are quite high. But do you think that it's it's realistic to try to find a workaround? Yeah, no, one hundred percent. And I mean, I, I you know I'm not so naive to think that every, every student is going to hear that. You know, what will surely be a, a very rousing speech on the sure. first day of class that they're going to say, "Oh, okay, we're never going to use, right. like, use these things." But I mean, that that's kind of what we, the position that we've been placed in by these these technology companies that have effectively released uh, released a product without testing it. I mean, if this had happened in any other sector. Uh, you know, like pharmaceuticals, they don't test things on 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 people on, on the public without you know without oversight. Um, so that's a longer term issue is to have better tech regulation. But in the short term, we're having to basically do these these uh, these workarounds. The other thing that we can make clear though 
is that uh, this is not a good product. Like, this does not do the things that we want it to do. It does not produce information. It produces the kind of a facsimile of it. Uh, there's, you know, there's all that famous stuff about hallucinations, how it might produce stuff that seems right, but every now and then it'll say something completely bananas. Sure, yeah. The thing to remember, know about this technology is that everything it produces is completely bananas, and it's not based on reality. It just sometimes looks more correct. So um, even now, AI is almost, and generative AI is becoming a, uh, a synonym for low quality. And I think that's the thing to keep pushing forward, is that this is a very kind of low quality product. This article that you've written, you know, in defense of the student essay is something that you've you you kind of landed at in researching your book. And you mentioned it a little bit. Your co-author is Natasha Tusikov. The book title is called The New Knowledge, Information, Data and the Remaking of Global Power. That is a big title, Dr. Hager. So what is it all about? Oh, well, it it's basically comes down to the, the one way to think about it is, you know, why have we when, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, everyone turned to um, we, we turned to the, the World Health Organization, you know, our political leaders and, you know, chief medical officers of health, but also to these tech companies like we turned to Google, whose expertise is in advertising and search in order to figure out how, how should we uh, navigate the pandemic. And uh, the reason we did that is because. Or as, as, you know, as a society, is because we now have this kind of like faith that if it's digital and if it's data, then it's knowledge, and therefore these are our, our new experts. And so this is one of the reasons why people are so you know, in at, people really, really want this generative AI to work because there's this uh, equivalence of digital with technology with progress with better. And one of the things we wanted to point out, I wanted to point out in this essay. Or in this uh, article, is that digital is not a synonym for technology, and that di- and it's also not necessarily the better thing. Have we already gone too far? Um, I I don't think so. The other thing that I always remember is that we're in the middle of an economic bubble here because the hype and the frenzy around this it's uh, it's bigger than the uh, crypto bubble mm-hmm. in terms of in terms of hype. It really reminds me of the you know ninety nine two thousand dot com boom where everything was mm. like you've got to have a website and everything's you know everything's got to go online, which turned out to be um, you know it turned out to be a little bit of a mirage. So I. I I think it's good to keep in mind that the actual applications for this generative AI technology, um, at the end of the, like the good and useful productive ones, are going to be relatively limited. Um, and that in the meantime, we shouldn't be too quick to just say, oh, well, it's inevitable, because everything looks inevitable when you're in the middle of a bubble. Great point. Dr. Haggard, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. That's Dr. Blaine Haggard. Associate Professor of Political Science at Brock University. Uh, You can check out his book. Uh, It's called The New Knowledge, Information, Data, and the Remaking of Global Power.